Well, again, happy Father's Day to all of the men that are here in the auditorium. I want to greet you. I want to give a shout out to my dad. He watches these messages online, and uh, I was able to get down and see him last week as sort of an early Father's Day, but uh, shout out to my dad as well. What we're going to do this morning is we are in the midst of a teaching series where we've been talking about how the Older Testament and the Newer Testaments come together and how that strengthens us and gives us a deep foundation for our faith. And this morning what I would like to do though is probably do a little bit greater of a Newer Testament focus as we talk about there and back again on Father's Day. Father's Day. What I would like to do sort of as the central scripture is we're going to use what's known again in the high church as the Our Father. And I thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool for us as men, ladies, you can listen too, but wouldn't it be kind of neat on Father's Day to look at the Our Father and then be sort of challenged spiritually as men as to what the most recited prayer in Christendom has to say to you and has to say to me. And so what we're going to do at the outset is we are going to read this text again together. For those of you that were not here at the beginning of worship, we read the Our Father as our call to worship this morning. So the Our Father is found in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 and Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Now let's read out loud together. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Amen literally means so be it. Ready? Amen. So be it. What I would like to do now is we're going to very slowly look at the Lord's Prayer. I really want to begin and really focus on almost exclusively the first four words. Our Father in heaven. So we're going to begin with the part that says our Father. The word Father says different things to different men in this room. For some of us, when you hear the word Father, quite honestly, it's not a good thing. If you were to think about your life, maybe your childhood, when you think about the word Father, it's simply not positive. And so when you think about saying, Our Father who is in heaven, you actually might think to yourself, Thank God He's there and not here. Thank God there's distance. I know several who are part of the City Church family who have told me that when you got to the age where you could, you exited your home to put as much distance between your father and you as you possibly could. I've lived a blessed life. My father is one of my heroes. Godly, quiet, does what he says he's going to do. Age has severely crippled his body, but his mind 
is still sharp as a tack. But for others, you would struggle to say that your father is someone that you would even slightly admire. I want to do something a little bit different because God as our Father is supposed to be the best understandable image of how God can relate to us in the human realm. And so if I might, I would like to pray that if you have a fractured view of what Father is, I want to pray that in this moment God might heal that might give you the strength to move past that. So would you bow your heads, but leave your hearts open as I pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, I pray in this moment that your will would be done on earth in our hearts as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch the hearts of men and women alike. For those of us who, when we hear the word Father, and we have to pray our Father, I pray that from this moment on, somehow, some way, you would bring healing, and you would bring wholeness, and you would bring peace, and incredible, incredible grace and forgiveness. We cannot alter that perspective without your help. So, Heavenly Father, give us your help through the Spirit so that when we pray our Father, it's the beginning of the best possible phrase that we could ever say. I pray for this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you were to look at Matthew chapter 6, where we just read from the Lord's Prayer, you would discover pretty quickly that the prayer, because it says our Father, is meant to be relational. You can't start off a request and name a relational figure without recognizing that prayer is supposed to be a relational thing. I wonder if some of us men, when we sit here, we picture prayer as more transactional than we do relational. It's more of a business relationship than it is a true relational one. But one of the things that I'm convinced of is that when that prayer starts and Jesus taught us to pray it, when He says those words, our Father, that word Father tells us this is supposed to be relational. It's also supposed to indicate a family relationship. If you call the Heavenly Father our Father, there is the sense then that God through prayer is calling you and calling me, and calling us as men to recognize that God wants to have a relationship with us, and it is to be one marked by the family. Now, interestingly enough, some of you might be sitting here and saying, you know what, Pete, when I think about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I would say that I don't really understand what it means or how to enter into the family of God. 
You recognize that you don't really understand that. I want to help you. I want to help you in this moment to understand how the Bible views me, Pete Hartwig, stepping into the family of God where I look at God the Father and say, God is my Father, Christ is my brother, and I am in the family of God. So that when I go to pray, I can come in confidence because I'm in the family. Look, if I went up to Alan Hartwig, my dad, and said, give me ten bucks, I'd have a pretty good shot of getting it. If you did, you stand pretty much zero chance of getting ten bucks. It's called a family relationship. And sometimes I believe that men may struggle with prayer because you're not certain about how do I get in the family. And so what I want to do is cover that quickly. Here's a verse that would be awesome for you to know. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. You see, when God views you or me stepping into the family of God, biblically speaking, it's called adoption. It's where you've been outside the family, but now God the Father sees you, and through your movement towards Him and His Son by faith, we are adopted in. So John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, when we speak about being children of God or in the family of God, here's what John writes. Yet to all who did receive Him, meaning Jesus, yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, meaning Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. Notice this. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of who? God. Two things are being said here. Number one, in ancient Judaism, a lot of Jews believed they were in the family because they were born into one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And if you weren't born into one of the twelve tribes, you were never really in. It was all about la familia. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he confronted that head on. And in confronting it, he basically began to ta teach the way you step into the family of God is through faith in Him. And if you were to read the Newer Testament, the beautiful image of someone who's outside the family, stepping into the family through faith in Jesus, it is adoption. What you just read with me in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, was all about adoption. I'm familiar with adoption. I'm adopted. And I remember clearly when I was a young boy, I remember kind of out of anger, I said to my dad once, I said, well, I'm not really your kid anyway. With some hurt in his eyes, he said this, every other dad was forced to take their son. I picked you. I went, wow, that's pretty cool. The truth of it is, back in those days, 52 years ago, it was nothing but a phone call. You imagine. My parents signed up to get a child. They got a phone call. And the phone call said, you need to be at this hospital in two days. 
My mom went and bought a flight from Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada. She bought a ticket for a flight in two days. She got on that flight, flew to Vancouver, British Columbia, picked me up, and in the same day was back on the plane and took me back. I was three days old. Isn't that something? Now listen, I sit here as the benefactor of adoption. I know personally and intimately what it means. It means you get a life you would have never, ever had. You have a totally different life. And you see, when John in the Newer Testament uses the terminology of adoption, it's that understanding that in order to or being outside of the family of God, I put my faith my hope, and my trust in Jesus. And when I do that, the Bible says very clearly, we are called the children of God. Just so you know, 1 John and those verses that we just read are filled with legal terms. It's this idea of the legal right to the entire family reality. And in Roman times, Adoption was the way in which many rulers would bring in the one that would take the throne after they left the throne. And so they would adopt someone that they wanted to be their next king or the next governor or whatever it was. Adoption was a move of power and authority. And so when you and I are adopted into the family of God through faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, we receive all the legal rights, all the authority, all the power of God the Father. That's what it teaches. That's what Scripture shows us. Now I have a question. Have you ever made that choice? If you haven't, at the end of this message there's going to be an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus and to step fully and confidently into the specific family of God. And I will tell you the next time you pray, Our Father, it'll have renewed meaning and authority and purpose. That phrase, Our Father. Jesus said, this is how you should pray, Our Father. What that means to me is that when I go to prayer, I am praying to a person, to God the Father, and I recognize Him in the midst of my praying. And so as a man, I step towards God and I declare that He is my heavenly Father and I recognize that. But it also speaks of relationship. I have found that my earthly father has a lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom. I remember one time as being a relatively new boss as a lead pastor, I had made some hires and I was frustrated and started talking about all this with my dad. And I kind of wanted my dad to say, oh, you poor boy. Oh, you poor son. And after rambling and ranting for about three to five minutes, my dad said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, I see one common factor between all three of those hires. It's you. Well, thanks a lot, man. Can you put mom on the phone? I want mom to. <laughs> but listen, what I've learned is father has a lot of wisdom. He has a lot of life experience. He has a lot of guidance. 
I want to say, so does your heavenly Father. There's nothing ruder than to speak to a person and say what you have to say and not listen. You see, prayer, because it says, our Father, is an opportunity for me as a man, man and you as a man to step before your heavenly Father. And in prayer, yes, we have the opportunity to speak to God, but we also have a wonderful opportunity if we would read His Word and listen to the Holy Spirit where God the Father also has wisdom and guidance and something that He would speak to us. Our Father. Now let's look at the Our Father. Our Father. As I was pondering that this week, and I was just looking at the Lord's Prayer, and these two first two words, where there was Our Father capitalized, now it says Our Father capitalized. What does it mean? Here's what struck me. If it's Our Father, it means that God is not just mine, but He belongs to a whole lot of other people too. And then, oops, maybe, life ain't just about me. Maybe life is not just about me. Because if it's our Father, then God calls me into community as I'm praying to Him. Would you please do me a favor, men, men only? I'm going to ask that you would repeat a brief phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Men, are you ready? Men, are you ready? Ready? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Men, one more time. Are you ready? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you know what I wonder? If maybe we don't live our lives a little bit differently spiritually than that. So I've rephrased the quote. So if you would please put that up on the screen. It would say, your kingdom come, my will be done on earth, and you take care of heaven. You know, that phrase felt like it was for all of you men and not for me when I first wrote it. But then I looked at it again, and I thought, man, how true this is. Men, how often do we live our lives as though, God, I'll take care of everything on earth. You just make sure heaven's ready for me when I get there. You do your job, I'll do my job. And you know how I know if I'm in that frame of mind? It's called prayerlessness. It's where I'm not praying. It's where God, all week long, I've got this, and then Sunday morning we show up and we pray with the congregation, but all week long, pretty much, it's prayerlessness. May it be said of us men that we would be able to quote that Scripture so clearly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth through me as it is in heaven. I believe that one of the marks of a maturing follower of Jesus is when we are willing to pray, Thy will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. A man that's maturing in his faith begins in prayer and looks to prayer and as he does, part of the prayer is this, God, 
This is not a business transaction. This is me coming to you, trying to discover what is your will for me in the midst of my business. God, what will it look like as I begin, as I mature in you, to lay lay aside all of this stuff and I begin to say, God, here's what I do on the job. God, what will it look like as I do your will on my job? God, what will it look like as I turn over my daily life? Instead of just looking for God's will for me in heaven, I begin to look for it here. Your will be done on earth through Pete Hartwig as it is in heaven. Our Father tells me this, that if I understand the prayer that Jesus teaches me to pray, it is not just about me, And it's definitely about God's will flowing through me to others. You see, the simple missional phrase of City Church is this, calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. That's what City Church is about, calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. And that just tells me that the Lord's Prayer is something that's key for me and for you. As I look at that phrase, our Father, it now grows by two words. Our Father in heaven. In heaven. And as I look at that phrase, that part of the first sentence, as Jesus says, this is how we should pray. And He says, our Father in heaven. For some of us, I think when we read that, we go, aha, When I think about my heavenly Father way up in there in heaven, it means that He is removed. He's extracted. Never view it that way. It means that God is pure. That God is holy. That God is in one sense removed from sinfulness. But more importantly, there's a sense of eternality about God that cannot happen if you were to say, my earthly Father. Your earthly father is temporal. Your heavenly father is what? Eternal. So when I think about that phrase, our father in heaven, then it convicted me as I prayed over this verse this week for my own life as a man. Here's what the question is. If our father is in heaven, then here's the question. Will we live as though this world is eternal, or will we live as though this world is temporal and heaven is eternal? How will we live? Am I going to live my life? Men, are you going to live your life as though this world is temporal and heaven is eternal? Or are you living as though this world is eternal and heaven is a maybe? I want to challenge us men. How am I living my life? How am I doing that? Now, Jesus admitted that when He was in the midst of His teaching that no one had ever seen heaven except for the Son of Man who had come to earth, meaning Himself. The idea then is, is if we are to pray our Father in heaven, 
Not only should we live as though this world is temporal, but we should also live as though we can see heaven even though we've never had a glimpse of it. In other words, put it this way. We live as though what we can see is not all that there is. That there is a spiritual dimension to life. That what I see here in this auditorium, what I experienced this morning when I was eating my yogurt, what I will experience this afternoon is my wife and my one child who's still at home lavishes me with love and lavishes me with gifts because I'm such an awesome dad. I would put it this way. In the midst of everything on this earth, there's an unseen world. And if I say, our Father who is in heaven, I'm confessing that I believe that there is a spiritual dynamic that moves beyond what you can taste, touch, and see. It's real. And the Lord's Prayer calls me to that. Our Father who is in heaven. Now, speaking about the unseen world, Absolutely it's real. I am completely certain that there is a spiritual dimension to life. There's no doubt about it. But when you speak of unseen when it comes to prayer, Jesus had a little something to say before the Lord's Prayer. And it's found just before it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. I'm just going to read it for you. And here's what he says when his disciples and those that would listen, listen. He says, but when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. I love that. Here's why. Jesus also said when you give, give in secret. Don't boast. Do it in secret. And your heavenly Father who is unseen sees what you're doing and He will bless you. If you do it so people can see you, then to be honest with you, Jesus said you've already received your reward. And here's what I know about fatherhood. I'm going to say it plainly. A lot of what dads do is unseen. It's unseen. I know some of you sitting here as dads feel extremely underappreciated. You feel like standing up and listing everything you've done. But I want you to have peace. If what you do is out of love, your Father, who is unseen, sees. And He will reward you. He will. I guarantee it. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of how God tests me in this almost every day. This is my daughter Jackie's dog, Banks. Banks is an artist in Europe who has done incredible artwork. But no one knows if the artist is a man or a woman. So this is Banks. Because no one's really sure. Looks like a boy, actually is a female. Her name's Banks. I love my daughter Jackie, but she's not here, so I'm going to talk about her. No, I'm only kidding. But what I've discovered is this dog is incredible. We absolutely love this dog. The whole family adores this dog. But this dog has a habit. She gets up almost every night 
between 2 and 4 a.m. And all she does is stand by her bed by the front door and whines. I remember the days when my children were born and they'd whine. You sit in the bed like this. Dads, confess your sin along with me. You sit there and you look at her. You go, who's moving first? (laughs) Baby starts crying and you pretend like you're asleep. (sighs) You look over. She's not moving. And then you... Right? How many dads have done this before and you're just trying to outweigh her? I remember laying in bed. There's Banks in the hallway just whimpering every so slightly. I felt like the Lord said, do not dare. Let your kids get up or your wife get up. You do that. I went, oh. So I got up, let her out, kicked her out into the yard, go do your stuff, come back in. She's all happy, licking me. She lays back down almost every single night. Let me explain to you, and I'm going to lose my reward because I just told you what I do every single night. But you know what? I know it's been a test. I know it is. I knew the Lord spoke to me and said, do, you, do not dare let your wife get up or your kids get up. You go do that. You can do that. But what I know is, for a lot of us, men, And I'm not leaving women out either, but men as dads, a lot of what we do is unseen, it's underappreciated, no one knows. Let me explain something carefully. You have an unseen heavenly Father who sees. He will bless you. Keep doing the right thing. Be faithful. Do it in love, not out of bitterness or anger. And don't kick the dog when you get up at 2 a.m. in the morning. Do it with the love of Jesus as you put your dog out in the middle of the night. My last thought, hopefully, is something that you will practice and remember. You see, now we're going to look to the Older Testament for prayer very briefly, and then we're going to close. In the Older Testament, there's a way of praying that you don't see as quickly in the Newer Testament, although Jesus did it twice. But saturating the Older Testament are men who the Bible says cried out to God. They cried out to Him. And if you were to look in the Psalms, and I'm just going to put one up on the screen, Psalm 18, verse 6. It's literally a Psalm of David. Picture this. David is a man's man. He is the king of Israel. He is a man who is a warrior. He is mighty in battle. He's leading the nation. And here's a psalm that he says. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He didn't scream at his kids. Didn't scream at his wife. Didn't cuss out the neighbor. It says in his distress, when anxiety and stress and the burden of life and the former king, King Saul, trying to kill him and hunting him like a wild animal. The Bible says that in his distress, he called to the Lord. He said, I cried out to God for my help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears and he reached down from on high and he took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. And then in verse 17, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They were too strong. 
Let me ask you a question. Men specifically. When was the last time you would say you were the closest to God? My gut is, it was a crisis. You don't have to confess it in front of the people sitting around you, especially your wife. But I know that most men, when they hit a crisis, they look to God. They do. David confessed it. He said, when I was in the midst of stress, when my enemy was too strong for me, it says he cried out to the Lord. He literally would bear his soul in prayer to God. It's the sense of shouting and screaming and a cathartic prayer where we lay out all of the stuff of our lives and we bring it to God. And I have learned the hard way. Trust me, the hard way. It is better to cry out to God than it is to scream at your spouse. I confess, I've learned that the hard way. But here, David, and in the Older Testament, that is an absolute way of praying. It says over and over and over again that that man cried out to God. The idea of a crisis bringing us close to God. What I want to explain to you very carefully is this. It's not the crisis that drew you close to God. It was the prayer in the midst of the crisis that drew you close to God. Why don't we pray more? I'm just going to ask you men. I'm asking, why don't we pray more? It's not the crisis that got you close to God. It was the prayer that you prayed in the midst of the crisis. And I want to tell you this. The most powerful prayers in your life are not your grandmother's prayers, not your sister's prayers, not your mother's prayers. The most powerful prayers you will ever pray in your your life, man, is yours. It's yours. And when you pray and you cry out to God, I've experienced it in my own life. He reached down from heaven and He grabbed me out of deep waters and He put my feet on a solid rock on which I could stand. Now listen. I listened to a sermon on prayer recently by one of my, one of my favorite preachers. Powerful, powerful preacher. He's an African-American guy. He's long since been home with the Lord. But in the sermon, he said this on prayer. I'll never forget it. He said, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there are millions of uncashed checks of prayer that are laying on the table of heaven because people did not ask God to provide for their needs. That convicted me. There's so much stuff left on the blessing table of God because we as people are not willing for whatever reason to reach out to God in prayer and to believe that He's a Heavenly Father who is good. He's a Heavenly Father that will provide. He's a Heavenly Father that will rescue. He's a Heavenly Father that will deliver. And I believe we are called to be a people to cry out to God in prayer. Men, will you stand with me as we close?
Men, as we stand together, if those that are working the technology could put up that Our Father prayer slide one more time. We're going to read it, men, out loud. Men, can we read it out loud? And we're going to begin where it says, Our Father, because Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Are we ready, guys? Let's read it out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen, amen, and amen. Ladies, would you stand with the men? We're going to spend a brief moment in worship together. Let's worship.